Do you want to capture meaningful conversations that you care about? Spotify for Podcasters allows you to make a podcast super effortlessly, distribute it automatically everywhere, completely free, and even earn money doing it. Did I say free while making money? What happened to capitalism? Use your phone or computer, hit press record, upload, and start creating today. You can also monetize your podcast super effortlessly through features like ads and subscriptions through the platform. If you have been following the Discover More journey, you know that I've been using Spotify for Podcasters since 2020. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to spotify.com slash podcasters. Spotify.com slash podcasters to start creating immediately. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Discover More, where we strive to accelerate the learning process together through intentional dialogues. My name is Benoit. And my name is Aiden. This podcast was built on the foundation of approachable guests, synthesized experiences, and relatable lessons that will help you grow throughout your journey. Thank you for tuning in this week. We hope you enjoy and continue to discover more. I think passion is very overrated. I think everyone comes out, especially on social media, and says, like, I'm passionate about this, I'm passionate about that. Well, if you were so passionate about it, why do you have to announce it? I, I truly feel like people that are truly passionate about what they do, they just do it. And they do it without thinking about it because it's a part of them. It's what they want. So it's important to keep passion in check. And that probably trickles into sales and business as a whole, right? Absolutely. Leadership, sales. I think to me, that's the one thing that makes your story so powerful and interesting is like not only is it fitness, but you also have the whole call it corporate America side, sales side, healthcare kind of situation. I wonder if we could kind of shift gears a little bit from fitness towards sales. Obviously, we don't have to go into like the details of it, but just kind of mindset, holistic approaches to fitness versus approaches to sales. In regards to sales, the root word of sales is called, it's sell-en, S-E-L-L-A-N. It's a Latin word. It means to give. And so, you know, when I think of sales, I don't think of transactions. I don't think of me going in there and, and trying to force someone to buy something. Mm-hmm. I, I always think about what is it that I can give to this person? And that's always been my approach in fitness and in the healthcare side. I think it's important to identify what people are looking for. Because every, everything in life, everything we do is a, is a give and a take. If I'm having a conversation with someone and they're talking to me about how much they love using Amazon and how easy it is for them and how they're able to get free shipping, that person who's talking about Amazon, and then I go out and I use Amazon, whoever shared Amazon with me just sold me Amazon, right? But they weren't actually thinking about selling it to me. They were just sharing and they were just giving me advice and they were sharing what's worked for them. So my, my mentality with sales has always been, what is it that I can give? Leading with service, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. I think service is important. You know, I know the format of sales that I'm in now is, uh, it's all service driven. It's account driven. So every account is different. Every person we interact with is different. We have to create meaningful dialogue to find out if what we're offering is something that can add value to to one's life. Yeah, and I think that's like the difference between like transformational 
interaction versus like transactional yeah. interaction, right? Because I didn't know that before. That's a cool fact about sales actually means to give with Latin. That's a cool thing I learned today. I think in any business setting and any industries, whether it's nonprofit, there's lots of sales components in nonprofit everywhere I work in, but in the private sector, right? I think sales and the industry of sales often get a, a very negative stigma and bad rap. Yeah. I know a lot of, uh, when I was a consultant years ago and a lot of my friends are still in the, in the fields, in the private sector, most of us hate salespeople because when we think about sales, you think about people shoving their agenda down your throat or they're trying to extract the maximum volume from you, the client versus the interactions or trying to uh, provide values through delivery, right? And I think what you gave the definition really helped. Are there other things or lessons that you learned? Are you the tactics that you use to become like an effective salesman? Because the fact is, even though myself and a lot of my friends look down on sales as an, it's an evil job, because when you think about sales, I think about you wearing fancy clothes, buying or taking your client out to like a fancy dinner and you're just looping them up for the sales <laughs> that you're about to pitch, right? <laughs> and then, yeah. but it sounds like it's, it's less of that and more of what type of value, what type of things can you provide and deliver and give to the client you're interacting with. The fact of the matter is sales is such a practical and useful skill. I think it's one of the very underrated skills because when you're giving a public speech, you're selling on your brand, you're selling on the ideas, you're selling on the content. When you're doing podcasts right now, you're selling on your stories, the lessons, and you're trying to better. When you're coaching, you're selling your personal brand of Amir, the head coach or the personal trainer. And I think a lot of people need to know the fundamentals or some sort of a sales tactics or skill sets, whatever you want to yeah. call them. So we would love for you to share some <laughs> of the things that have enabled your success in the sales. Whoever is asking the questions is controlling the conversation. And that's in any aspect of life. That could be in a sales meeting. It could be with a, a mom, mom, dad with their kid. It could be a teacher and student. Whoever is asking questions is controlling the conversation. So, and that, that's a fact. So now that we, we understand that fact, how do you apply that? How do you apply that? And are you going to apply it to help your client or you're going to apply it to just like you said earlier to manipulate them. So I think the value comes in taking these skill sets and using it for good, you know, and, 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 and trying to add value to whatever it is that you offer, you know, as, as a salesperson or as a service, everyone is different again. And I, I really want to go back to what I said earlier with building the relationship, the stronger your relationship with your client, the, the more influence you'll have, the more positive influence you'll have the more business you'll be able to get. So from what it sounds like, both from the questions element and the relationship element, it's almost less about asking questions about sales or value directly, but you're probably talking about them, like just their life, what they're up to, what they do on weekends. Like yeah. Said, asking questions, being interested in them as a person outside of business. Like are you just trying to create that relationship through questions that might not even be related to sales? Yeah, you know... Absolutely. I think your character as a person shows if you're not genuinely interested. If you're genuinely interested in getting to know someone, it's, it's, it's so much easier to have a conversation. Just like what we're doing right now. Like I feel like we're all kind of talking about our ideas and, and it, you know, I'm, I'm genuinely interested to be here. So it's easy for me to talk and it's, it's very easy for me to share what I have 
But yeah, I think really getting to know whoever you're trying to sell to outside of the, the certain scope of products. Also, you know, adding to some of my talking points about sales is, uh, uh, have you guys ever heard of Zig Ziglar? Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's, a, he's a great speaker. You know, he writes a lot of books on sales. And so Zig Ziglar once said, uh, you know, God gave us two years and one mouth for a reason. So I think the more we can listen, not just listen to listen, but actively listen, really focus on compartmentalizing what's in front of you in the moment, which is whether, whether it be that client or it's a group of people. Being able to listen to what your customer wants is huge. And I think the big thing that comes to mind for me there is like, not only are you actively listening, but you're actively listening and interpreting, which is something that I definitely try and work on. Like a lot of times I just get so present or like caught up in the conversation. I'm just intent on being there. But I think as a salesperson or really in general, like interpreting what you're actively listening to, like the example you gave about, say a client says he went to Amazon and he really loves the two day shipping and the free convenience of it. If you're actively listening and interpreting, you realize that convenience is really important to them, right? Then you can int- or apply that to how you'd sell them. You might highlight the convenient elements or the things that allow him to have his workday be easier. You can kind of figure out his values from the fact that he really likes Amazon. Are you monitoring within conversations with within your buyers of like, hey, he mentioned this, let's kind of circle back. I'm sure even in, uh, you said that you need to figure out the why and the what clients do. You kind of use that underlying motivation, circle back, interpret what they're saying to ultimately create the goal you guys both want? Absolutely, yeah. You're, you're listening and you're interpreting. And when you're interpreting, I think it's also like if, if, let's say you're having a conversation and while you're interpreting, I think it's also important to maybe clarify whatever it is that they're seeking, if they are seeking anything. Uh, and I think it's important to kind of uh, reinforce if something is important to them. I think all three of us could attest to the success of Apple, and I'm sure, I don't know too much about the sales arena, the tactics, but I'm sure you could speak to more, is that Apple became so such a phenomenon because when you walk into an Apple store, you're, you don't feel like you're being sold. You feel like you're, you're making autonomous, free will decision to check out a laptop on display or check out this iPhone on display. I think they catered the experience to a very personable approach where every client, every customer who walks into Apple store, they're doing their browsing, they're shopping on their free will. Whereas I think a lot of times when I think about sales or when, you, when I think about the analogy I used earlier when you're being lubed up before the, <laughs> before the trans- transaction, right? Yeah. And I, I, and I also want to highlight and underscore the notion you talked about, whoever asks the questions control the conversation. I've never heard that before, but it's like super eye-opening. And I think you provide a little bit more context. What Aiden and I self, we we always preach on this show is better questions leads to better answers. And the quality of questions dictate the quality of answers you get. So you, you have to understand the type of questions you ask. And I think through leaning into the curiosities, leaning into to cultivate that curiosity you have for the client or the customer is like, hey, so-and-so, he or she seeks after this desire or he or she is looking for this particular area in the life. And only through asking very intentional questions about, oh, what are they looking for? What type of person they are? The type of personality that you use on your clients sometimes. And I think all of those play a very intricate and important role in terms of 
painting this holistic picture of what the client is, right? Because you must know who he or she is as a person to know their desire. If you don't even know who they are, how can you know what the type of demands or needs they have in life? So I think that is a really powerful thing to say is whoever asks the questions control, control the conversations. And what Aiden talked about is interpretation piece. I think active listening itself is pretty useless. Sure, a lot of people, when you're, when you're conversing, most people aren't actively listening, right? That's, that's the skills that I had to pick up through this show because I like to talk and I have all these things and responses that's conjuring in my head whenever I hear something that you say or a guest say. And I've learned to let go a lot of my inheritance, my inner dialogues, because I realize there's a better things being present, right? Just by being in the space, being in presence, you truly get to lean into the things that matter. But then I think for sales or for active listening, interpretation that comes and that is more important than just listening because if you're not processing information, if you're not interpreting what he or she just said, if you're just listening, it's not a useful skill set in right. terms of at least sales. I mean, sure, you're listening here and being present and I'm sure you and the person are having a good time because yeah. like, you could tell when this person in front of you is listening, right? Yeah. But you need to do something about that listening. Like, what are you doing with the information you just retrieved? Right. So, yeah, I just, I just wanted to highlight those things that you talked about. Definitely, definitely. I think it's important to understand the difference between the two, interpreting and listening, 100%. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so let's switch up our gear a little bit and go full circle into your upbringing and your family dynamics. I think a lot of uh, the listeners, or maybe like if you're white, you can't quite grasp or understand the gravity of that cultural, parental, family conflict that we have. Because especially for us who are immigrant descent, our parents, they practically sacrifice everything to come to this country to like your dad had a two job at one point to try to support, especially working in a blue collar industry, it's not easy, right? And for us, who's the byproduct and the offspring of our parents is sacrificing the hard work, I think a part of our identity is always gonna be family oriented because of the collectivism, because of the, the collective cultural practices that we take as an Asian American. And part of us, we are always going to feel indebted to our parents for their sacrificial love, for their act, for their unconditional love, because they gave up what they had so that we could have a better future. But at the same time, part of us also need to navigate and to confront the reality that our parents are a different generation and they grew up with a different hardships and different mindsets. I could never complain to my mom because she went through everything I did but times 10 on steroids. So I just sound like a little bitch when if I ever complain to my mom. My mom would always say, oh, back in my days, you know, we've all heard the same, but it's true though, right? Yeah. Because of the conditions necessitated, they had to have some sort of a mindset or work ethics because they had to. We don't, and that's the privilege that we're born with because our parents gave so much, because our parents did so much, we don't have to go through the same level of hardships or conditions that they go to. So how do you... Or how did you first navigate that conflict between here's what your Indian parents want you to do because they did so much to bring you here so that you can point into this great country with just immense, endless opportunities. And there's you, Amir, who wants to pursue and being the ultimate minority in the fitness space. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, it, 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 it was always present even just growing up, you know, I mean, hey, mom, I'm going outside of to play, you know, with my friends, you know, no, you should be reading books, you know, uh, I remember I wanted to play football when I was younger, but my parents wouldn't let me because they were like, no, it's going to, it's going to, 
it's going to steer you away from school, you know? So I mean, it's always, it's always happened from like a micro to even like a macro to where it's like, Hey, like, you know, I'm thinking about being a trainer. No, you know, you should, you should, you should try and be an engineer. It's always been there from micro to macro. I think you're absolutely right. Um, I think it's important to understand the sacrifices that our parents make for us. And they make those sacrifices because they want us to have a better life, right? They want us to have a better life and th- than they did. And it could be, that could be related to circumstances. It could be finances. It could be success, right? They, I mean, I, I think it's fair to say that all of our parents just want better for all of us. So if they want better for all of us, then having them understand that better for me may look different than what's better than what you think I should be doing, you know? And I think uh, success is subjective. Everyone has their own level and definition of what success is. It's very common for immigrant South Asian families to see success subjugated in only a handful of fields. And the reason why they subjugate that is because it's what they're familiar with. It's what they identify with. And the reason why they don't associate themselves with other fields is because, such as fitness, is because they're not familiar with it, right? And just like naturally, if we're not familiar with anything, we don't want to be a part of it. I think just being consistent with myself and having my parents see that, like, hey, like, this kid really loves to work out. You know, I think he can... I think it can help. I mean, over time, over time that those barriers start to come down slowly to answer your question, just through persistence. And uh, again, being really attached to your why, right? Whatever it is, whatever it is that you're doing. So for me, it was, it was fitness. And my why was because I want to be able to share the same changes that I went through and give those experiences, or at least help guide other people to, to achieve those experiences of self growth and physical growth. And that was very important to me. So I think the more closer you are to your why and then being persistent about it is what eventually brought down these cultural barriers, you know, between my parents and I. I think what it comes down to is like how we define what that better is or what the currency of a better life is. And a lot of times looking around here, success seems to focus on financial money of a big house or a nice car and all that kind of stuff. To me, it seems like it's shifting. I'm curious for you guys' perspectives on this of, I guess, like the millennial and Gen Z ideas of what success might look like. And to me, what you said about following your why, to me, that screams alignment and that alignment is actually success. Doing things that matter to you, that fuel you up, bring you passion and purpose. Even if you're leading a job that pays you eight figures or something, if you hate it, I don't think that that's success. So both what your thoughts on like, what have you seen in your family or like what has India's perspective around success look like? And also, how do you think that's evolving the year 2020 and onward? I think definitely people in our generation are being more cognizant about the currency of success and also being cognizant about the time spent Mm -hmm. because you know money you can you can gain money and you can lose money right time you you only lose time right you can't gain time back so i think a lot of people are just being more conscious about where they're spending their time and if that time spent is of value and and if it's of significance Time you enjoyed wasting isn't time wasted. 
that John Lennon quote. (laughs) That's exactly it. Like if you value what you're doing at the time, that's what's enjoyable. I love that quote that you alluded to of like, you can always gain and lose money, but you can't gain time ever. So that's really resonates. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts there? Part of that? Well, at least with the people I surround myself with, you know, like the whole confirmation bias and groupthink biases, right? When you're, in a particular demographic or a group, you tend to associate yourself with the values that's in al- aligned with a lot of your friends. So like uh, three of us or eight and I, we share a lot of beliefs. That's why we went from like fast friends to really good friends the past right. two years since we crossed path in the gym. So I think a lot of my social circles share that belief that su- success is subjective and success should look like how you want it to look like, right? That's best in line with your values. If you think autonomy or traveling is important to you then your success should have those two categories for sure like that involves a lot of traveling or autonomy but yeah i think there there's definitely a cultural shift with the conversations about success especially 10 years from now will be the main uh, mainstream age group in, in this country so i think we get to redefine what the success is just like how our parents or the older, older generation have defined it for us and i love that you talked about familiarity and that's true because whether it's our immigrant parents or Italian parents or whatever parents, they were accustomed to a certain way of making it, quote unquote, right? They're, they've accustomed to a certain way of life that had guaranteed certain ROI or a certain level of comfortability. So, right, for our parents, it was education, right? Like Asian parents or in Asian culture, we like really, really prioritize and we put education on the pedestal because education was not the only way out but it was the best way out for our parents so they worked hard they they studied hard they went to law school medical school whatever they may be but now with the generation that we grew up in there's youtube there's like tiktok there's multitude and array uh, array of outlets yeah of how people could become successful and i'm sure like even now if i told my parents i'm dropping what i'm doing and i'm going to become a YouTuber, my parents were like, what the fuck? Like, are you out of your goddamn mind? You think we gave everything up so you can become a TikTok or YouTube sensation? Yeah. But the point is, like, the conversations are happening yeah. and it's, it's important to have that conversation because our parents, they're less familiar with our current modicum, our current modes of what could be defined as successful. And I think with the technology evolution, with everything that's going on, there's going to be new career options. There's going to be new fields. A lot of our pre-existing careers going to be non-existent because yep. there's simply not a demand for that type of skill sets, mm-hmm. right? So I think you need to first discover what you want, like what you do with your clients. You have to know their desire well, we're, yeah. with sales, right? How can you sell something if you don't even know what they want? So we have to do that assessment on ourselves. Like, what do I want out of this life, out of this finite 80 years? I have like 60 years left, 65 years. Like, what do I want? <laughs> Hopefully the, more. Hopefully more. Uh, no, I don't want to live too, too old. Uh, 80, 85 would be a happy age for me. <laughs> but, you know, like, what do I want for this remaining time? You know, because it is a gift. Like, our parents gave something off so that we could have a better life. And But the important distinction is that you're not using fitness as a scapegoat. It's not because you hate the school or you hate the business or you hate the work ethics. That, you know what, I'm just going to, quote unquote, be lazy and become a coach. And I think there's a lot of stigma in that. Like before I met and had deep conversation with you or Nick Boletto, our other coach, or Anna, another coach, I didn't know how much science and how much hard work actually went behind 
the fitness coach or mindset coach, right? I mean, the book that Aiden was talking about with the nutrition certification, that's a thick fucking book. That's thicker <laughs> than any book I've read in college. And I, and I do a lot of reading on my own time and I haven't read, that's a pretty dense book. So I think as long as you have a driven why, like you talked about, and you have actions and beliefs that proceed and match with that why, I think you can be successful in whatever field. But it can be a scapegoat. It can be just an excuse because you don't want to put in the work. Because I think every success looks different, but I think every success comes with a lot of hard work and vision and beliefs. Yeah. And uh, just to add to what you were saying, um, I think... If, I think if someone is looking to get into a career field and they may be conflicted because of what their parents are saying or because of what maybe some of their peers are saying, I think it's important to picking a career field based off of uh, passion and based off what you're good at. I think passion is very overrated. I think everyone comes out, especially on social media, and says, like, I'm passionate about this, I'm passionate about that. Well, if you were so passionate about it, why do you have to announce it? I, I truly feel like... People that are truly passionate about what they do, they just do it and they do it without thinking about it because it's a part of them. It's what they want. So it's important to keep passion in check. And so, for example, like I I could sit here and say, hey, I'm passionate about playing the guitar, but if I'm not a part of a band and I'm not making money, I'm not going to be able to pay my bills, you know? And then there's also a mindset of picking a career and trying to shoot for success with something you're good at. So like if you have a certain skill set or you have a certain certification or education that you're actually good at and that you can provide value of, you may not, and it may not be something that you love, but it's something that you're good at, you can absolutely create a career out of that as well and be able to achieve some sort of satisfaction through that too. I'm really glad that you brought that point up both from both sides. I think the unique thing about passion is that it can be cultivated, right? I think passion yeah. lies in the progress or in the process. And ultimately, like doing the thing over and over again, you're not going to try something day one and be like, I'm passionate about that right away. Sometimes there is that alignment and you're like, this is really cool. But usually passion comes from the 100th attempt, the 150th attempt. I'm sure the first time you got under a squat rack, you weren't like, yo, this is what I want to do the rest of my life, but probably like continuous repetitions. I know personally for me, I hated running for like the entire first half of my life. I've only recently found a passion in the last two years, but that's been through the process, through continuing to do it. And then also the idea that you mentioned of, I guess, assigning a purpose, like having a why, but in each specific area, framing a career or creating a story around why you're doing that specific thing. I know personally, I work in uh, corporate finance right now. I know that's not my long-term plan, but I'm good at it and it pays the bills. And right now that's like what utility I'm applying to it. I know five to 10 years, that's not going to be the case. But if you really assign a why, not just like your overall why of living, but your overall why of doing the things that you do, I think is a really powerful place for people to both start and continue moving with. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Having my parents, uh, you know, migrating here to the U S and being raised by immigrant parents and Trying to share everything that we just talked about to them has has, has not been easy. <laughs> so maybe this episode of Discover More. Will help. <laughs> yeah, I know. I might have to. You know, I'm. Well, I'm definitely gonna send them the link. So <laughs> I hope they. Uh, yeah, no. I, I also like the fact that you highlighted and underscored the important factor of passion, and obviously, in a ideal and a perfect world, everyone would be good at what they're passionate about. 
and make that into a career, right? right? I mean, there is a very small collective of us share that deep privilege of doing something they truly love. Like I have a friend, uh, Manny, Aiden knows of him. He is, I, I have so much envy for him in the most positive way, right? So he's a coder, he's a software developer. And dude, this guy fucking loves coding. I asked him, what do you do when you're not at work? Actually, no, he said this. He said, the only thing for me about having a job as a coder is that I have to wear pants going to work. <laughs> and what he's, the underlying message is that he loves what he does. On the weekends, he would like chill and he would code for fun. Wow. So he codes for full time at his job. And when he's not at work, he still codes for fun. And he is one of the very few people that I know was born into his career. And the career happens to be what he's exceptionally good at and he's passionate about and is very lucrative. Wow. But, but not all of us have that privilege. That's, that's probably the greatest privilege I can think of for a millennial person is you love what you do and you're good at it and happens to be a freaking coding, you know? But uh, I think, but for most of us, a lot of there is, I mean, it's not mutually exclusive, right? There are oversharing boundaries with your passion and your career and there's like a skill set that you happen to share that you're also good at, you can cultivate into a career. But I think what Aiden talked about is that passion does happen. It's not, hey, you're not born with passion. Of course, there's like genetics and you're more prone to liking science or math or liberal arts or whatever that may be, but you can definitely cultivate and lean into that passion and grow it. And like for us, we started this podcast as a passion project. You know, I know passion is, a, I agree, passion is overrated. I think, and I think it does serve a purpose when you share that passion with people if, if you want to hold yourself accountable, right? We, like, we told a lot of people about this uh, passion project of ours. We said, hey, we're going to have a release of an episode. We're going to start a podcast. We shared so that there is like a point of no return. Now we can't go back because we've been telling everyone we're going to have this passion project. So when the due dates are due and when people don't see the product, like what the fuck like what happens to your podcast right so i think it's good for in terms of sharing in terms of instilling the accountability i think it's positive but when you're just doing over or over again i think it's definitely loses yeah. intention but gary v talked about this before where he's like a pretty well-known speaker and he talks about that many people have a lot of passion like basketball football like i played varsity sports in high school but i know i'm not good enough i could maybe play d3 i was pretty fast but a lot of people love basketball but not everyone's going to become kobe or like LeBron James or whatever, right? There is yeah. a finite amount of skill set that most people are born with, but it's not an excuse to like forego or let go of your passion. You can still lean into it, you can still continue to develop it and try to have, like you said, have different hobbies outside of your nine to five of whatever that p pays the bills. One thing that you mentioned that I'd really like to explore with you is the relationship between passion and purpose. Mm -hmm. Because for me, this passion project started off distinctly as that a passion project that we thought was fun and interesting and over the last year it's really evolved into one of the most purposeful things that I've ever done just having these conversations voicing our ideas learning from our guests and sharing that wisdom with our listeners how do you think well do you think they're related how do you think they might feed one another especially in your experience with fitness how did that initial passion evolve into your purpose yeah i think they're definitely related you know i mean i think they're two separate entities but they're interchangeable you know going back to what uh, you were talking about earlier with passion um i think passion is something that is learned you know it's something that is achieved it's, it's we're not just born passionate about 
you know, a specific topic or subject. Uh, and then the purpose is tying your why behind it, like the significance behind it, what it means to you, uh, what it could potentially mean to others. So I think they're interchangeable and I think they're 100% related. People tend to like what they're good at, right? Yeah. And that's what I always, uh, I used to be a teacher through this nonprofit called Teach for America. And then I taught math. Very stereotypical. I happen to be Asian and I also happen to be exceptionally good at math. But yeah, so I was teaching middle school these kids from inner city school with a drastic gap between their learning and their grade level, right? And I was teaching seventh and eighth graders. And I remember in the beginning, on the first day I did an introduction, I told them who I am. And it was a Harambe charter school. So they're the first uh, Afrocentric school. What that means is everyone in the school is African-American descendants or they're black and they practice Swahili, like the African principles, not just African-American, but truly African. And which is like a cool piece. I, cause you know, I think there's a lot of cultural similarities between Asian culture and African culture, right? Cause we're, we're both very collectivism, uh, respect with the elders, the whole night. So I was asking, I, I taught, uh, four classes, two uh, eighth grade classes and two seventh grade classes. And I was the advisor for middle school, eighth grader. So out of 118 students, I asked them, who here likes math? I legit had, I think three people out of 118 raise their hands that, that they like math, right? And I did some benchmarks. I had to assess like, like you do with your clients. You have to assess where your clients are and you have to meet them where they are, right? Yeah. I want to teach them algebra and eighth grade level math. But if their level is on fourth grade, or if half my students are IEP eligible, or they can't even do times table, I can't teach them eighth grade because that's what I want. I have to cater to their needs. Right. And then what I learned by scaffolding or by catering instruction to each individual student, because there is no one fit all, even for education wise, I realized some of my kids have grown to like the subjects because they became good at it. And a lot of time, whether it's us or students or people from less fortunate circumstances, you've never received the affirmation. No one ever told you that, hey, you can do this. I believe in you. Like what we talked about their last guest, Monte. And no one ever gave them that seed of belief that, hey, you got this. And all of us, we can attest to that the things we love. I loved football because I was good at it. I, I don't like basketball as much because I'm not good at it. I was the, I always tell people I was a star bench player in high school. <laughs> Coach let me in because he liked me. That was literally, I, I might have played uh, two minutes total my whole career, my high school basketball career. But like people like what they're good at. So I think that's another way to cultivate into your passion is if you attach that why, that purpose into each passion, then you're going to naturally exert more effort. And you're going to try harder and be better and get better. And when you're better, you're going to have more passion for whatever that subject that you have. So, Absolutely. So Amir, I loved the distinction and the notion you talked about how the importance of tying a why, of attaching and trying to connect purpose with passion. And I'm sure that mindset of yours, it, it displays and plays out in your day to day with your client's direction, with your sales job, with most aspects of your life. The one thing that Aiden always braced about and I really love is how you do anything is how you do everything. So I'm sure the fact that you're able to connect your purpose with your passion of fitness, of coaching, of bettering the lives of your clients on a one-on-one -on -one basis, I'm sure there's a lot of gratifying stories or there's a lot of transformational that happen for both you and the clients. So would you be able to share the one that comes into my mind? 
Yeah, so this was back in 2016. This is when I first started coaching at Orange Theory, and we had our weight loss challenge going on. So it was an eight-week program, and it was a measured program for weight loss, but it also was uh, an accountability program for people to commit to a, a workout program, whether they have committed to one in the past or not. So I remember being in the program and, you know, coaching and what in it, I received a message from uh, one of our clients and, you know, I think she had posted something on Facebook and I replied to something she commented and she sent me a private message and uh, I, and this, this message really shifted my paradigm on coaching and really strengthened my why because it made me realize that the work that we do can impact one's life in a, in a very positive way. She goes, uh, I have been struggling with my weight most of my life, especially after having kids. It became harder and harder and not a priority anymore. I finally decided that this is it. This is my time. I will do it this time. It isn't any easier, but I want it really bad this time. I'm not backing out. The weight loss challenge could not be starting at a better time. I have fire and I'm losing this weight no matter what. Orange Theory trainers and you especially push me through every workout. I have never met a more motivating trainer than you. And trust me, I have met many. So every morning when my alarm clock goes off, I say to myself, I can do this. This is my time. I kind of cannot wait to get back in the studio and to get another workout in. I have never felt this way about exercising. On my way to every Orange Theory class I take, I listen to, and she sent me a link of a motivational quote. And basically, I had just, all I did was really just re- re- respond to something that she wrote, and I just said, rise and shine. And I, that's something that I always said before I started all my morning classes, because, you know, I, getting up first thing in the morning, right, we're rising. Now that, now that the doors are closed, and now that you're in the studio, now it's time to shine, you know, now it's time to put in the work, you know, now it's time to commit to whatever your goal is. So, and receiving a message like that was, to me, was really powerful. And, and, you know, I didn't become a trainer so people could patronize me as a coach, right? I could care less if somebody thinks that I'm a great coach. Well, I would care if they think I'm a bad coach, <laughs> but if they think I'm great, like I, I really, I've detached myself from patronization. I didn't I didn't do this job so I could get looked at as a coach. I didn't do this job so I could get messages for people to tell me how great I am as a coach. I did this job so I could help people, right? So I can try to impact in a positive way. So I can help elicit positive changes. And so to be able to receive a message like that and to and to uh, not only did it strengthen my why, but it gave me more belief into why being a trainer was so important to me. I think one could champion that mindset of rising and shining into everything they do, right? Like goes yeah. back to what Aiden talked about, how you do anything is how you do everything. And yeah, obviously we all share the saying of early birds gets the warm and all that. <laughs> but I think, A, the most difficult part is waking up. That's the hardest thing because like Aiden and I, we met in the morning workouts and the gym's empty. We love it. But choosing not to snooze that alarm, like what Anna talked about in her episode, Right, her motto is bring the light or be the light. Yeah. For other people, for you, you are able to provide that experience, provide that light that yeah. your client Kate was looking for, and your simple affirmation or the statements of rising and shining really made a difference. It sounds like it paid huge dividends to her 
transformation. And I think waking up and not sneezing alarm is the first step, but the more important part is showing up. Yeah. Right. If you've committed to waking up at six in the morning or seven or eight, whatever, if Kate has committed to finally not quitting and completing this weight loss journey, why not? And you might as well to bring the best version of yourself yeah. since you already woke up, you have committed. So why half-ass it, right? Let's yeah. go. If you're gonna go in, go balls deep. That's my motto. Yeah. Less polished than rising and shining. <laughs> and she, in. she came second place. Oh, so awesome. I mean, it was uh, it, it was it was fun. It was really fun working with everyone there. And uh, I do shout out to OCO Princeton. <laughs> um, so when Anna was here, she shared that she was a matchmaker for two of her clients, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so it sounds like Orange Theory. Oh, she had, shared that story with me. Yeah, yeah, she, yeah, yeah, she shared that. Story. She was able to help two people get married Yeah. Uh, because of her. So we were joking to Anna that, oh, if I'm looking for a wife, I need to go to Orange Theory. <laughs> and then, but no, honestly, I've never gone to a Orange Theory training sessions in the studio, but I've done a bunch of their workouts during quarantine. And I think with the timely release of these episodes with you, with your passion, with your purpose, residing in coaching on fitness, the mindset, the whole the whole nine, I think it's very timely because the gyms are starting to reopen now. Yeah. I was in the gym twice this week. Absolutely loved it. I have to be satisfied with Planet Fitness for now because <laughs> my actual gym isn't open yet. I think they're taking the process slowly. But uh, yeah, I think it's very important that we talked about this and then the importance of fitness because I think whether it's like gyms or whether it's like bodybuilding, like what I do, or the running that Aiden's been into, or heavy lifting, or Orange Theory, whatever avenues you choose, they're merely the instruments, right? They're merely a way for you to get better mentally, physically, spiritually, whatever you name it, right? And it's not actually the, the curls, the workout themselves, it's what they represent. It, whether you're willing to commit to, to that movement, to going into the gym or going, waking up. It's whatever you commit to, every action you believe. I think that really will paves a, paves a long way. Yeah, well said, Ben. I would like to ask you, Amir, about the conclusion of this lady's weight loss journey, because obviously receiving a text message like that at the beginning of the journey is one thing. I think anyone can say, oh, I'm so motivated just to start. A, to see her finish in second place must have been gratifying in itself just for what it's done for her. I mean, I really love the idea that you mentioned that you detach from the what people are saying about you as a coach. I think that's a great mindset to have about it. So it's gratifying not for you and your ego, but for what it's done for her and how that's changing her life. So Absolutely. I would definitely like to inquire, like, how did you see that trickle over into her life? Or call yeah. it how that story wrap up of, yeah, she got the second place podium, but what did that trickle over into for yeah. her? So the beauty about it is that they're... they're there never was a conclusion, you know? It's just those same habits that were formed in the weight loss challenge carried her throughout, you know, the whole year. And I mean, at least up until I, until I was there. Going from the journey and then now taking your eight week journey and extending it to now a lifelong journey is where where it was when I, at, at least when, you know, the last time that I was, I was there back in 2017, so. And once again, it goes full circle into the pursuit, right? The beauty is in the attempts and the beauty is in the pursuit and the happiness resides within the pursuit of the act itself. And for her, the goal setting of like her goal and her motivation wasn't to be in second place. I'm sure she couldn't even dreamt that, right? Sure. But her goal was simply not sneezing the alarm and showing up to this space and complete this eight week challenge. That was her goal. 
But then I, I believe, and I'm sure you just attested to that, the habits, the mental fortitude, the grit, all within that she picked up during her eight weeks is that the dividends isn't the second place, but it's the fact that now she has the effective habits, the, the toolkits that now she can carry herself for the rest of her life. And likewise, I think for all of us, like gym or fitness, like it's just a mindset, right? I first started to work out with the same reason that you have. I was bullied in high school. I was the one Asian kid in my high school. It was all white. I, I felt weak. I wanted to look for ways to better myself. But my first catalyst reason and the origin of my story of why I started working out was very egocentric, right? I wanted to, to inflame my ego, to feel better in myself, to get that confidence. And I think a lot of the confidence are first brewed in a not superficial, but maybe less idealistic way. A lot of times we want to gain that confidence because we didn't have confidence or we want to gain that physique or confidence to get a girl. A lot of the incentives are maybe not ideal, but once you have that, you can truly cultivate and lean into it and then grow that into like a more properly channeled ego. And obviously I have a girlfriend, happily so, I don't work out as intensely as in I don't need to get a six pack 24 <laughs> seven all throughout the year because I'm single. I need to get myself prepared for the market to be fresh, quote unquote. <laughs> That's no longer the motives or incentive, but I still work out because I understand the gratifying pieces of the working out isn't the physique. It's what it means, what it represents. It's a, it, it has instilled mental fortitude, strength, grit into my mind. And then I've learned not to give up or embracing the mindset of last set, best set, or embracing that 10th rep after you've been squatting heavy for days, you know? So, uh, yeah, I think what Kate experienced post her second podium victory, what we experienced from the working out, like this friendship and this podcast would have never born if we didn't meet in the gym, right? right. And I'm sure the most and foremost, the gratifying experience that you receive from day to day from your clients, not from the testimonial standpoint, but the fact that you see the difference that you're making in your clients, which I'm sure is amazing. And that's what it's all about. That's really what it's all about. It's it's about being able to being able to produce results for people and being able to solicit that positive change. And I were to bet that those results aren't just the weight loss, right? With this girl Kate or this lady Kate, I'm sure she has more energy with her kids. Yeah. Better doing better at work. Like Absolutely. it's not just the weight loss, right? Absolutely. And it and that's the beauty about fitness too, is that, you know, it, it tends to Disperse in all areas of one's life when you gain when you have more confidence and and you're able to see yourself differently The way that you approach certain things changes. Yeah, I think high, having a higher self-image can translate into so many different areas into one's life Most definitely impacts the way you show up across the board. Yeah, for sure So as we're kind of wrapping up coming to a conclusion uh, We really like to pose the question if you were a mentor, what would you encourage mentees or even yourself five to ten years ago what would you leave them with words of wisdom or advice for the years to come yeah so uh oh man that's a great question i always believed in leading by example and so i mean if if there's something that you're trying to achieve or accomplish or learn it's okay to seek guidance and it's okay to ask for help Learn from those who have accomplished what it is that you are trying to accomplish so you can gain wisdom, have some sort of guidance. Success in itself is, is always going to be up to the individual, no matter what the situation is. But I think if you could learn from those 
who have already achieved what you're trying to achieve, it will help you or help one to be a lot more productive. Absolutely. Yeah, well said, man. I think there's something to be said for not, not to say ignoring advice, but not looking for advice from someone whose position you don't want to be in, right? Yeah. Going to those who you aspire to be or those who inspire you is the people that you want to be surrounding yourself with. So Absolutely. I love that piece. Advice is cheap. You know, talk is cheap. Everyone has, uh, everyone has something to say, but I think it's important to identify where those words are coming from. You know, are they coming from a, a point of reference? You know, are they coming from a point of credibility? So I think it's important to, to understand that and, and, and to surround yourself with people um, who are also like-minded. It goes full circle, right? It is the act of active listening, but also the interpretation. Like listen for and seek out the advices, but also interpret it to see that those advices are actually applicable to your life. But like you said, everyone, every individual has a different pathway to success whatever that may mean. And to truly go full circle to the last week's episode and to our initial conversation points, you gave us the definition of sales. In Latin, reward means to give. And you as a coach, Amir, you definitely have given a lot of positive experiences, transformational for both your full-time job as a salesperson uh, in the healthcare space also, plus your additional hobby and passion of coaching clients on a one-on-one basis. Um, but it sounds like you have embodied that sales mindset, which is to give, right? Not to do what is best for you, but also what is best for the other person. So to conclude this, we will give you the final space for you to self-promote, self-plug anything that's going on. Maybe share about the opportunity, the bootcamp that you're hosting every week. Yeah, so I appreciate that. Thank you, Ben. Um, yeah, so we have a I have a small group of a, a I have a small boot camp that I do outside uh, at Pentry Park every Friday at seven thirty a.m. So um, if anybody wants to come in and switch up the routine, feel free to shoot me a DM. My Instagram handle is at heel h e e l Amir. It's A A M E R. Uh, so all one word. And then also I do some one on one training as well. So um, if you're looking for something a little bit more specific. Uh, if you want to get into some uh, sort of uh, periodization program, uh, I can definitely help out with that as well. Yeah, if, if, you, if you want to train, uh, you know, I'd love to get to know you and uh, let me know. <laughs> and to everyone, since our podcast is on an audio platform, Amir is a pretty big dude. I mean, he's sitting <laughs> and he, he's pretty yoked. So uh, he definitely knows what he's talking about. And we will put all your information in the show notes so that people can seek out your information wherever. Oh, I'm blushing, Ben. Thank you. <laughs> uh, but yeah, with that, uh, yeah, thank you for spending your Saturday afternoon with us. Uh, and thank you Thanks for, for having on the me, show. Man. Thanks, man. And uh, good luck with the rest of your endeavors. Dude, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you, man. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to another episode of Discover More. We release a new episode every Monday on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And it would really appreciate if you have subscribed and shared this with your friends. We hope you enjoyed this episode and join us next week in the journey of discovering more through intentional dialogues.